Welcome to Christian Faith Center. We're a church that meets in multiple locations. If you'd like to know more about our church, just head to our website, experiencecfc.com. Thanks for joining us. Wow. Oh, isn't it exciting all God's doing in every generation at Christian Faith Center? And am I the only one that didn't know that Pastor Sapphire could rap? What is going on? That girl can do it all. Absolutely amazing. Well, hey, church, it's so good to be back and back in the saddle. If you're brand new, uh, you might not know this, but if you're part of the family, I've been out of the pulpit a couple of weeks and uh, just resting a little bit. I thought, you know what? Everybody else goes camping in July. I might as well squeeze a camping trip in too. So anyway, it's been fantastic to get a little, little break and spend some time with my kids, but I'm so excited to be back. And I've got a word that I believe God has given me to build you guys today. And how many have been enjoying our summer series so far with our guest speakers? And man, it's been such a, a, a great series. I've been making sure that I listen to those, watch those, and it's been such a great series so far. I want you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to start there. For all you multitaskers, I'm going to jump to Hebrews uh, chapter 6 for the bulk of my message. But I want to start with Ephesians chapter 4, specifically verse 13. And just before I get there, I want to ask you a question because I believe it's going to set the tone for where I'm going to go today. But let me ask you a question. Um, Does anybody in this place know a super immature adult. Now, don't raise your hands. Just let the Holy Spirit minister to you for just a second. But I feel like everybody in here had a, had a, had a face, right? If you're married to that person, don't you dare elbow them. This is not the time, all right? But I, I just want you to think about that for just a second. Uh, does anybody know a super immature adult? I'm guessing every one of us has a name, a face that's popping into our mind right now. And here's why. Age does not automatically equal maturity. How many understand that? Age does not automatically equal maturity. I know 20-year-olds that are more mature than some 50-year-olds. Come on. Now, none in this room, obviously. You're, the, you're God's elect, you know. It's, but I've met some. I've met some 20-year-olds that are more mature than people that are much older in years. I love what Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church, former pastor, I guess, now they're in succession. Um, but he says this. He goes, in life and leadership, age doesn't matter. He said, age only matters if you're cheese. And so there is not a direct correlation, maybe a Cabernet, you know, something like that. But there are certain things where age matters. But can I just tell you, you do not automatically mature just because you age. Age happens automatically. Maturity happens intentionally. Age happens automatically. Maturity happens intentionally. And I think most of us are trying our best to, you know, live this thing called life in a mature, responsible, successful, and stable way. But I want to encourage you with Ephesians chapter 4, 13. Then we're going to pray, and I'm going to dive into this word God's given me for you today. Um, But let's read this together. And with this in mind, this idea of maturity, this call to maturity, let's read this text. Ephesians 4.13 says this, and we'll put it on the screens for you as well. says, this will continue until we all, everybody say all of us, 
until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be, here it is, mature in the Lord. That we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Would you pray with me? And let's ask the Lord to speak to us through his word today. Father, thank you so much for each person that is gathered here, every person in the room joining us through the online family right now. Lord, I pray our hearts would be open and ready to receive everything that you have for us today. God, may your word really come into our lives and build us, shape us. I pray so much more than just a word uh, from Jordan would happen today, but there would be a word from God that would impact our lives. Lord, build our lives. May we be bigger, better, and more like Jesus because of your word that is preached and taught to us today. And we ask for this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Um, As soon as I read this text and began thinking about something, I really feel like we're in a critical moment not just as a body of Christ, but really as Christian faith center as a church. I really feel like the world needs the local church maybe more than it ever has, at least in my lifetime. I feel like our communities, our cities, our schools, our family, our friends, our workplaces, they need us to be the church, to be followers of Jesus maybe more than ever. And you know, the reality is this, the goal is not just to grow up in the natural, The goal of the follower of Jesus is to grow up in the Spirit. And I'm kind of a a sociology person. I I feel like as as a pastor, as a leader that's called to reach people and build people, you should probably know what's going on with people. And so I study a lot, I read a lot about people and what's happening in our world. And in case you didn't know this, a lot has changed in the last three years. A lot has changed. Matter of fact, we're just starting to catch up with what's going on in the lives of people. But even before all kinds of shifts began happening three years ago, there was already a trend that was alarming, and it has now been accelerated greatly. As a matter of fact, there's something happening in the people, especially ages 30 and younger in our nation, that they've actually given it a name. There's a phenomenon that is happening that is causing people to step out and begin really their own lives being fully functional, fully uh, after kind of their own life and purpose. And it's called failure to launch. That's what they're calling it. Matter of fact, some sociologists, they call it failure to thrive. And I want to read the definition. And just before I do, I don't want anybody to feel discouraged, especially if you're in this room and you're under 30 and you feel like you're struggling to thrive. Okay, I'm just, I'm telling you, we understand that there's all kinds of things going on. The economy's crazy. We've got inflation. Gas is $47 a gallon. There's all kinds of things happening. House prices are through the roof. Interest rates are high. Student debt is at an all-time high. We get all of that, but the reality is there are effects of that on the people of our nation. And what's happening is it's causing people to not really live their life the way former generations have lived their life at the same time. Matter of fact, there's, they're calling it a syndrome. Failure to launch syndrome, in short, is the inability to be independent and self-reliant. Failure to launch is common in young adults, especially young men between 18 and 30 years old. It refers to parent dependency. And it can be associated with unhealthy codependent relationships. A position of being, catch this, stuck. 
or not maturing in an age-appropriate way. As a matter of fact, 52% of adults 30 and under at this moment live with their parents still. And when I read this and saw this trend, I, I kind of began to understand maybe some of the factors that could be causing that, but immediately I had this thought in my spirit, this is not just a natural problem, this is a spiritual problem too. Yes. An inability to step out and live out your own faith. This idea that our faith is confined to a building or to grandma or to mom or to a pastor or to whoever it is that, that we're codependent on to really live out the life of faith. This idea of failing to launch out into your own God-given calling and destiny. I need you to know something. If you are breathing air today and are a follower of Jesus, there is a destiny and a call of God upon your life. There is something great, big, and exciting that God has given you to walk out on the adventure that following Jesus is. He created you with a plan and a purpose already in mind for you to walk in. There is great and mighty things planned for the follower of Jesus. If you believe that, you better shout amen. God has a plan for your life. But there is a pressure, a tendency to not step out in this day and really follow after the plan of God for your life. I feel like one of the great reasons why so many people don't think following Jesus is exciting is because they have not yet launched out into the call of God for themselves. They're still living off the fumes of their grandma's call, their, their mommy or their daddy's call, or the call of God upon their church, but they have not yet stepped out of the nest to live out the call of God upon their own life. And so I begin thinking, I wonder if this is a new phenomenon or if this has happened historically throughout the church. And as I studied this, I found in Hebrews chapter six, I believe the apostle Paul wrote Hebrews, you can come up you know, with your own theory on that. The reality is we're not 100% sure, but one of the early church leaders was addressing this very issue in Hebrews chapter six, verses one through three. And I want you to hear this, and I want to dig into this together, and I'm going to pull a couple of thoughts out of this that I believe are going to encourage us today and help us to step out and live the life God has called us to live. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 says, uh, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 6, I believe we're going to start, yeah, verses 1 through 3 says this, so let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again, and let us go on instead and become, here's that word, mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms and the laying on of hands, nor the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Now verse 3 is very important. Listen to this. And so, God willing we will move forward to further understanding. So here's what this leader is trying to get into the heart of the church. And we have to understand something about the Bible. It wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. Yes. Every bit of Scripture is you. It's for you. It's for you. And it speaks to where you are in your own life. And what, what the early apostles were dealing with was they had, they had pounded certain things into the minds and the spirits of the believers. And they said, listen, you already get this. 
You already know you have to repent of your evil deeds and turn to God. This is how we all got saved. Aren't you thankful for Jesus that no matter what you've done or where you've been, at any point in your life, you can stop and turn from your ways and put your trust in God. He will embrace you, accept you, make you part of the family of God. I love Jesus. I love that he does this for us. But Paul says we don't need to stay stuck on that. Nor do we need to keep talking about elementary things, about the laying on of hands, about baptism, about the resurrection of the dead or eternal judgment. We get this stuff. It's time to move forward now in our faith, to be mature in our walk with Jesus, to go past the elementary things of the faith so that we can be strong in God, so that we can embrace and withstand every storm that comes. No matter what happens in the White House or Congress, we can be strong in our faith. No matter what happens in our state or our home, we can stand strong on the rock that is Jesus Christ. We can be firm in our faith because we didn't stay at the infant stages but we launched out into the things God has for us. And I want to give you a few things that will help you. And maybe you're here today and you're doing awesome. You're tracking right behind Jesus and you're rocking it. I still believe there's something God's calling you to do. But I want to address some things that are really going to speak to people at all ages and phases of their walk with Jesus. You know what's cool about Christian Faith Center? We have people accepting Jesus and making him Lord in every service, every location, every Sunday. But you know what that means? It means that there's people at all different phases of their walk with God. You know, when I first uh, came to know Christ and Holy Spirit was working on me and drawing me to make Jesus Lord of my life, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I, I needed Jesus, okay? Like, some people get saved, I got saved, you know, okay? But man, those early days, I mean, I remember every single altar call, you wanna give your life to Jesus? I'm like, yes, <laughs> me, you know, like I need Jesus. Every Sunday, I was accepting Jesus in an altar call. Some of y'all are there right now. I mean, every Sunday, snot dripping, you know, God's doing something, and you're like, it's me, I need to be, I need to be saved, you know? I'll never forget, my pastor grabbed me and he told me, he said, hey, listen, you don't need to get saved every Sunday. Like, you're saved. <laughs> like, you're, you're saved, right? Like, <laughs> I think he was like, I hope you are. Like, <laughs> seven times the charm, you know? Like, because here's something you need to realize. And, and let me parallel it in the natural. Have you ever been in the room to witness a baby being born? Right? Now, every woman just had PTSD and every man just was scarred just now. But how many understand that is an event that happens and it is a powerful, wild, crazy experience. But once that baby is born, there's no going back and doing it all over again. It is an experience that once for all produces something that is here to stay. And you know, Jesus paralleled natural birth and spiritual birth. Jesus said, listen, you were all born in the natural, but you are born again in the spiritual. Can I just tell you, when you are genuinely born again in the spiritual, it is not just an event that can be taken back and you kind of pop back in and you come back out and I'm born and then born again and born and born again again. 
Can I just tell you, when you're born again, you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's marvelous light. You are born again out of bondage into God's family. You are born again out of an orphan spirit into the very family of God. You become a son or a daughter of Almighty God. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption is placed in you, and you are now a child of Almighty God. The Word says you are sealed for the day of redemption. You you become God's very own. And what God has in his hands, nobody, not the devil, not the world, no, nothing can take you from the hands of God. You are born again, and you don't need to be born again, again. Matter of fact, let me just encourage you with the thought. This is my first thought. Write this down. We don't need to repeat the salvation cycle. You don't need to repeat it. Listen, failure to launch isn't new. The, the Apostle Paul was dealing with this, right? Or, or the Hebrews, at least, is dealing with this text. And he's saying, listen, you get to move on now. We don't have to deal with the basics again of turning away from our sin and turning to God. Like, you get it. You're in the family now. Let's move forward with some things. He, they were not unfamiliar with people being stuck in a phase of not maturing in an age-appropriate way. I think what the Scripture's saying here is you don't need to be born again again. Like you're in the family. It's possible to be confident in your salvation and to move forward in the things of God. Now, I don't want to diminish the need for all of us to repent of our sin and to put our faith in God. I don't care what Oprah says, what the world says, what Rob Bell says. There's one way to be saved. There's not many ways to God. There is one way to God. It is through His Son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, the one who died on the cross, who shed His blood for me and you, who was buried for three days but rose again and is alive forevermore. It is by trusting Jesus and Christ alone that we are saved. We must, everyone has to decide in their life, what are you going to do with Jesus? You can reject him or you can embrace him, but you've got to do something with him. There's one way in. I'm not, I'm not diminishing that. But once you're in, friends, you're in. The family of God is for everyone. There's one way in, but all can enter. The ground is even at the foot of the cross. Salvation is for me and you and anyone else who would believe upon Jesus Christ. If you're thankful for that, put your hands together and praise the Lord for what he's done for me and you. Everybody gets to come in, but friends, hear me. Salvation is not the end. It is the beginning. It is the beginning to a brand new life with God. It's the way in. It's the adoption process. It's your membership transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It's God's way to get us in. But many of us, we turn the act of repenting from sin and turning to God, we turn that repentance of sin into a cycle where we repent and we come in. And then something happens and we feel like we fall out. And then we got to show back up and we got to back in. And then something happens and we're like, oh, I guess I'm out. Like, oh, God's adopted me. Oh, he's rejected me. I'm in and I'm out. I'm in and I'm out. And we can laugh about it, but this is what it does. It paralyzes the purpose on your life. If all we're ever doing is coming in and then coming out, then we're never actually doing what God has called us to do. We're never actually building what God's called us to build. We're never actually carrying what God's called us to carry. 
And so I want to encourage you. I want you to write this down. How can I know I'm saved? How can I know I'm saved? I'm so glad you asked. Let me give you a few things that will help establish you so that you can know that you're saved. And I want you to make these personal even as you write them. I'm even going to read them to you in the first person. Number one, I want you to write this down. I can trust what God's Word says about salvation. Make that a personal declaration for you. I can trust what God's Word says about salvation. Listen to Romans 10.9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Did you catch that? You can't be good your way into heaven. You can't good works your way into heaven. You openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead and you are saved. The way to grab a hold of the very promise and inheritance God has for you is by faith in His Son, His life, death, and resurrection. So if you openly confess Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart God's raised Him from the dead, that means you are saved. You can trust His Word. If you've believed on Jesus, then God is at work in you. Then faith is at work in you. Number two, I want you to write this down. How can I know I'm saved? Number two, I've been given the Holy Spirit. Listen to Romans 8, 15 through 16. It says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now, we call Him Abba, Father. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Now, we in the church, we call this a witness. You might hear the old preachers, can I get a witness? Come on. Listen, when you trust Jesus, you get a witness. The Spirit of God Himself is a witness in you that you are a child of God. The fact that you are God's children, you have God's Spirit in you, is proof positive that you are saved. Number three, how can I know I'm saved? My final thought, I'll just give you another, one more for good measure. Three is God's number, come on. Here's how you can know, because God has begun a good work in me. God has begun a good work in me. You can make that a declaration. You can declare your doubt away. Declare your fear away. No, God has begun a good work in me. Philippians 1.6. I love this. The Apostle Paul writes, and I am certain, I'm certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue His work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. That means none of us are finished. If you ever meet a Christian that's like, I'm done. I don't sin anymore. I'm amazing. I don't make any mistakes. I'm just like Jesus. Run away from those kind of Christians. They are crazy and proud and delusional. Why? Because we're all a work in progress. God has begun a good work in me. And here's the powerful part. He is faithful to finish what He starts. God is not just a starter. He is a finisher. So when we trust in God, we receive His Spirit. Something begins happening in us. You cannot have the Spirit of God living in you and not be being transformed. It's impossible. God is working in your life. 
You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the people of God. God is at work in your life. You're not finished, but something has begun. See, many people, here's really what I want you to get. Many people struggle to embrace their salvation, and here's the reason why. Because they still have problems in their life. And so here's our human rationality about it. We go, well, I mean, if I was really, if God was really working in me, I wouldn't have this problem in my life. I wouldn't have this struggle in my life. I wouldn't be dealing with this thing inside of me. I wouldn't have this pressure, this problem, this guilt, this thing that I'm dealing with. Can I just tell you, the devil is a liar. Because before you met Jesus, you didn't even care about that. It wasn't even attention. You just did it. And you did it all the time, and you didn't feel bad about it. There was no tension at all. Before I met Jesus, I didn't feel bad about anything. I didn't feel bad about nothing. I'd do whatever I want, whenever I wanted, and there was no, nothing to govern that inside of me. When I met Jesus, it's not like all that just went away in a moment. I didn't go from party Jordan to perfect Jordan. I'm still not perfect Jordan, if you haven't figured that out yet. Welcome to an imperfect church. Starting with the guy behind the pulpit. We're all in progress. God is at work in me. I'm saved, but God is working to sanctify me. You are saved, but God is working to transform your life. We are in progress. But here's what happens. We think because we still have problems that God's not got a progress going in us. Can I just tell you, your problems do not indicate the absence of salvation. Your problem, the tension, actually is an indicator that God is at work in your life. Your problem is an indication that God's working. Well, how can you say that, Pastor? Because before you met Jesus, it wasn't a problem to you. Now when you do the things you used to do, there's something inside of you that goes, man, I don't think I should be doing that. I think there might be a different way to live my life. I have this tension now. Even the Apostle Paul wrote this down in Scripture. He said, why do I do the things I don't want to do? Do you know that every child is born messed up? Have you ever met a child that was born and their first words were yours? No, their first words are mine. They're selfish inherently. If you haven't figured that out, welcome to it. When you are born, you are born bent towards self. Friends, when you are born again, though, something happens in your heart. This is one of the greatest ways you can know God is at work in your life, that you've been born again. When you are born again, your heart goes from bent towards self to bent toward God. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean there's still not a pull to things over here. But when you fall and when you fail and when you struggle, there is a bending toward the person of Jesus. There is a bending toward, Lord, I need your grace. Lord, I need, so thankful your mercy is new every morning. Lord, look upon my life. Like David prayed, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. One of the greatest indicators you are born again is you are no longer now bent toward self. When you exercise self, your heart is bent toward God. And maturity in the faith is simply learning to follow your leaning toward Jesus and not your leaning toward self. It's one of the greatest indicators in your life. So don't allow the struggles you're facing to, to convince you that you're not where you need to be with Jesus. The fact that you're fighting is an indicator that God is at work in your life. 
It's an indicator that God is transforming your tastes and your tendencies and your desires and your actions. It's an indicator that God is doing a good work in you. And friends, I'm here to tell you, if God has started something in your life, friends, God is going to bring it to completion. He's not going to leave you with that thing that has claws in you. He's going to deliver you. He's going to set you free. He's going to release you from those things. He's going to teach you and instruct you and build you to follow his will and his ways and bring freedom and life and maturity to you. If you believe that, shout amen. Amen. God has begun a good work in you. And so your heart is now bent toward Jesus. I want you to write this down. Number two. So again, we can't get stuck in the salvation cycle. We've got we've to push forward. But number two, we cannot allow instruction to turn into an obstruction. We cannot allow instruction to turn into obstruction. Now, I want to make something clear. The last thing I want to do is belittle the act and the process of learning and growing. One of the primary things we need God's Word for is for our instruction. We must always be learning, always be growing. One of the core values of my family is that we are learners. The Hodges are leaders, lovers, and learners. I always want to be growing, always want to be learning. But listen, God never intended for us to be paralyzed by the learning process. This is what the Christian life should look like. Ready, aim, fire. This is what that's the Christian life. Ready, aim, fire. Now you get into trouble when you're ready, fire, okay? There should be a ready, aim, fire happening in our lives. God's not just preparing you. He's not just pointing you. Friends, there is a call upon your life, and God wants to release you into the world to represent his name and his will in a powerful way. But see, so many times we can get caught We can get caught in a ready, ready, and we never really step out into what God's called us to do. As a matter of fact, I was studying um, the life of the eagle. We have a kind of a cool video uh, to show you this too. The eagle is an interesting animal. You guys already know this. I don't want to insult your intelligence, but eagles lay eggs and they nurture them to hatch. and, And then the eaglet will stay in the nest for a long time. I mean, gosh, this baby's bigger than his mom already. You know, it's like, I mean... These things will get big, and it's nice as a baby eagle. You know, they build these big old nests. I don't know if you've ever seen an eagle's nest, but, I mean, they're big old nests. I mean, it's a queen size, maybe a king size bed in that bad boy. Mom brings you sushi morning, afternoon, and night, every day, maybe a little rattlesnake or something, you know, to mix it up a little bit. But, I mean, it's a good life. Mom's plucking out all your baby feathers while you molt and, you know, bringing you food all the time. You got this big comfy nest. But see, even eagle mothers understand something about nature. They understand that if it's so comfortable and so easy all the time, then we'll never actually step out into the very thing we were created to be and the very things we were created to do. And so an eagle mother will start to go through a process, and and the eagle transitions from being an eaglet into a fledgling. And an eagle will, will enter something called the fledge. And during the fledge, the eagle will start making the nest smaller. They'll start putting more branches in there, maybe some rocks, I don't know. But they put some things in here, and all of a sudden, the the king size goes down to a twin bed. 
And, and she stops making everything so comfortable. So now the eaglet is growing and he's uncomfortable and there's more twigs and branches and sticks and he doesn't like it anymore. And so now he's getting restless and the mama wants him to fly. And at some point, the fledge happens and if that eaglet doesn't by itself step out, the mother will actually shove that thing out of the nest and get this bad boy to fly. He'll work on making it uncomfortable first. And if that doesn't work, she'll hurl this guy right off of a cliff. Now listen, you might look at that and go, that's barbaric. But can I, can I just tell you, God parallels eagles in our spiritual life oftentimes in Scripture. Can I just tell you, be careful when your life gets uncomfortable and you blame the devil. It might actually be God. Be careful when people betray you and leave you, when your world starts to feel small or, or you start to feel uncomfortable or what used to feel so spacious in your life, when your relationships used to feel so spacious and your world used to feel so spacious and now it seems so confining, it seems so restrictive, that could very well be God preparing you for the destiny that he's called you to. And God understands if we're comfortable down here, we'll never soar to the levels that God's called us to soar to. The mother doesn't throw the eaglet out because she's tired of that thing and wants him to crash on the rocks. No, she understands there's something inside of that young eagle. And unless he hits the air and enters the invisible, he will never tap into the very reason he was born. Eagles were not meant to stay in nests. They were meant to mount up on wind and soar higher than almost any other creature in the animal kingdom. And friends, I need you to understand something. You were not made to stay in the nest. You were made to step on to the invisible and watch God lift you to heights you could never have imagined. God has a plan for your life. He has a higher level in mind for you, a higher level in your marriage, in your life, in your calling, in your career. God's got something greater for you. But you'll never find it unless you step out into the invisible and catch the wind of God for your life and soar to heights you would never imagine. I love the scripture. It says you are meant to mount up on wings like eagles and fly. Christians, we can't afford to fail to launch. There's a time to be safe and learn. There's a time to stretch our proverbial wings in the safety of the nest. But at some point, it's time to fly. It's going to be time to step out in faith. It's going to be time to put weight on what you know in your spirit, but you can't see with your eyes. See, experience will teach you what nothing else can. Doing the stuff will strengthen your faith in a way that just learning more cannot. I love Acts 1.18. He says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know what I love about Jesus calling us a witness? Here's the definition of a witness. You ready for this? A witness is simply someone who testifies about what they have seen and what they have heard. It is illegal for a witness to share anything that they don't know, that they haven't seen, or they haven't heard. Matter of fact, I don't know if they still do this. They need to. But I don't know if they still do this. But they used to put a Bible out in front of you, and you had to put your hand on the Bible. And you would say, I swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Why? Because a witness must be relied upon to tell only what they've seen only what they've heard and only what they know. That's what a witness is. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say, and you will be my scholars? And you will be my theologians? I'm not diminishing that. But the call of the disciple before that 
It's to be a witness. The enemy would love to convince you that you're not ready to make an impact for God because you don't know everything and you haven't seen everything. Friends, you cannot afford to get hung up and paralyzed in the call of God upon your life based on what you haven't seen and what you haven't heard. You are called to make an impact with what you have seen and what you have heard. You are qualified to be a witness. You are qualified to leave the nest. You are qualified to share your faith with others. You are qualified to tell the world about Jesus. You are qualified to build something with God. You are qualified to step out on the invisible and see God do the impossible. I remember when I first accepted Jesus, I knew nothing. I knew nothing about Jesus other than he forgave me and he saved me and I had a couple of scriptures in my back pocket. That was it. And I was telling everyone I know about Jesus. And you know what? I wasn't in the Bible. You know, Leviticus, you know, shadowed this about Jesus. And if you really look at the shadow and the type and the picture, you know, in the Old Testament, how it relates to Jesus, I was just like, listen, I don't know. I was messed up. I was far from God. My whole life was in shambles. And then I met Jesus and he saved me and he forgave me and he gave me a peace I've never had before. He changed my whole life around. I was one way before I met Jesus. Now I'm another way after Jesus. All I know is that he sent his son to die for me and he rose from the dead. And when I put my trust in Jesus, everything in my life began to change. I just started there. It's all I knew. It's all I saw. It's all I understood about God. But you know what? God used that. Everybody I know started to accept Jesus. Or they thought I was crazy. One of the two. But I just began with my testimony. Friends, the enemy would love to convince you that you are disqualified from stepping out for God because you don't know everything and haven't seen something. But you know what? There is something that God has uniquely done in you, and no one can do what God's called you to do like you. No one can share about Jesus like you. You know how I know that? Because you have a unique story. There is a unique perspective you have because of your posture when you met Jesus. There's a side and a view of Jesus that you see that I might not see because I was over here when I met Jesus. But see, you saw this facet of Jesus. I can minister to people through my own experiences. But friends, there are people that need to know what you know about Jesus. They need to know God can meet them in circumstances like yours. They need to know that God can be strong in a situation like your situation. It's not enough that I share with them mine. No, friends, they need to hear yours. That's why the gospel witness is not complete with just one or two. No, it takes the body of Christ to really declare the full picture of who Jesus is. He's so beautiful. There's, he's faceted like diamonds. And see, so you see a facet that I don't see. And the world needs your story. I love the book of Revelation. It says the testimony of Jesus. Oh, it carries with it the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? It means as you tell the world what Jesus has done for you, it has supernatural power to say to them, if God did it for you, he could do it for me. The world needs your story. You can't fail to launch. It's time that, that we work what we got, that we'd be a witness with what we know, that we would impact the world around us. And can I just, can I just have a pastoral moment as the lead pastor of this church for just a second? This applies to us as a church right now. In this last season, the word of God over this house was stronger we didn't start any new locations. We didn't start any new ministries. Maybe we launched a couple conferences, but, you know, we're gluttons for punishment, okay? 
But we really paused and we said, Lord, we recognize you want us to be stronger. And so we evaluated every arena of our church, systems, structures, leaders, mission, vision, values, clarity. And you know, God is faithful to his word. He has performed. I'm so thankful for the foundation that has been laid by Pastor and Sister Bueller, Pastor Monty and Kelly Sears. I'm so thankful for the great legacy that we have. But you know, we needed to strengthen what God had given to us. And you know, this year, we're only seven months in. Do you know every single thing we can measure at Christian Faith Center is stronger than it's ever been? We're seeing more people accept Jesus, more people come to our services, more people getting baptized, more people taking first step, more people jumping into discipleship, more people connecting into small groups. Financially, we're stronger than we've ever been as a church. We're giving more resources to missions to equip missionaries around the world and in our backyard than ever before. The church is as strong as it's ever been. Isn't that amazing what God is doing at Christian Faith Center? Yeah, give the Lord a big hand. But just know I have a hook on the other side of this <laughs> because I rejoice. But the Lord is preparing us for our future. We're strong to go forward. I love that we have four locations, six congregations, and three languages. I love that. But God has called us to 10 cities to see 10,000 people come to know Jesus in a personal way. And there's seasons where you just have to get strong, but at some point you got to step out. You got to step out and take a chance. You got to step out and follow Jesus. You got to step out and come on, start a new church, launch into a new place, do something for God. God is always calling us into the unknown, into greater. So often faith is spelled R I S K. God is looking for us to risk something for his kingdom. So what does this look like? What, what is our part? Because my heart is burning for 10 cities, 10,000 decisions for Christ. I'm so thankful for a vibrant church. I'm so thankful for a powerful church. But what does our part look like? I want you to write this down. It's my final thought, and this is what I want to leave you with today. We need to have a heart to go just a little bit further. We need to have a heart to go just a little bit further. See, everyone who's following Jesus is a disciple. I love our text in Hebrews because it said we need to move forward in the call of God, right? We need to keep going forward, not get stuck in an infant, but go forward in God's plan. This looks like discipleship. Now, here's the funny thing. Anytime we say the word discipleship, it's like the scariest word in church, right? Like, so we're like, what the heck does discipleship mean? You know, we've all heard that. I'm in a discipleship process. Well, that sounds scary, you know? What is discipleship? You know, and we've lost that because we don't understand what it means to be a disciple. It's a biblical language during the time of Jesus where people would decide to follow somebody and they would model their actions, their thinking, their ways, and their lifestyle after another. That's what it meant to be a disciple. How many know that you're not to, be, you're, you're not to necessarily be a disciple of any spiritual leader or pastor? You are to model your life and your ways after the Lord Jesus Christ to be a disciple of Jesus first, to be influenced by Jesus first. So discipleship, what does that look like? Because it's such a broad word. It's like, well, I need to be disciple. Let me break it down for you. When I train pastors, leaders, here's the verbiage that we use. Here's the verbiage. You ready? This is what discipleship is. It's taking one more step forward in your journey with Jesus. It's just one more step. It's one step forward. And then when you've done that, you take another step forward. Jesus will lead you along with him. 
It's not an obscure word. It shouldn't frighten us. Discipleship simply means going one step further in your journey with Jesus. Now, let me give you some examples. This could mean deciding to put your faith and trust in Jesus. If you've never done that, that's how you become a disciple. You commit to following Jesus, His will, His ways, and modeling your life after Him. You ask Him to come into your life, to save you, to forgive you, to adopt you into the family of God. You receive all the promises of God in your life, and you begin a lifelong, really eternity-long process of following Jesus. You could do that today. This could mean that you've done that, but you need to get baptized. You know, it's so funny. I hear from a lot of Christians, they'll say things like, they'll say things like, well, I'm not ready to be baptized yet. I'm like, well, are you following Jesus? Yeah, I am. I'm like, then you're ready. This is what the Bible says. Believe and be baptized. Like it's step one. Here's why this is important. We want to get to step seven, but we haven't done step one. Baptism is a powerful, supernatural act that declares outwardly the inward work of God. I heard a great saying recently. It's soaking wet proof God has begun a good work in you. Love that. This could mean that you've been baptized, but you haven't been to first step. Like you're in the family, but you're not really in the family. Well, come on in. I think there's like 40 of y'all registered for first step today. I love what God's doing at CFC. This could mean you're a Christian, but you don't have any Christian community. Well, friends, get into a team. Get into a small group. Find some other people in the church. Connect with them. There are people just like you. There are people just like, there are other people in our church, in this room, let alone in the whole church. There are people in this room that are looking for a friend just like you. Get into Christian community. This could mean that you've done that, but you're not serving in your gifts. Friends, join the dream team at CFC. Here's one of the greatest ways to make a big church small. You ready for this? Because I hear this all the time. I don't know, CFC's kind of a big church. You know how to make a big church small? Get into a team. Get into a team or a group. If you'll get into a team or a group, a big church will become small. Why? It changes your perspective. Suddenly what's just this big thing you're separate from now is an intimate thing that you're connected to. You can make a big church small simply by getting connected. God will give you relationships. He'll give you, you'll have ownership. You'll have passion. You'll have a part to play in what God is building. It will transform your life. Some of you have been doing all of that. I believe God's calling some of us to deepen our understanding and our foundation in God in a way that you've never done before. You know, CFC College is not just a degree program or training for pastoral ministry. You know, we offer a 10-month program called the Equip Track that any follower of Jesus that wants to serve Jesus, live out and know and understand and study His Word in a greater way could take. And if you, I think it's seven or eight classes over 10 months, if you would devote the next 10 months and jump in Equip Track, you would come out the other side stronger, deeper, more equipped to serve God. It's not gonna be for everyone, but it's for someone. There's a next step for everyone, whatever stage you're in. This could mean starting to pray, starting to serve, starting to tithe or give or forgiving your spouse, your neighbor, your family member, whatever the next thing is for you. Friends, we only fail to launch when we fail to take the next step in our walk with God. 
Whatever the Lord's leading you to do, that's your next step. Launching doesn't mean going from step one to step ten. It just means taking the step that God's put in front of you. It means forward movement. It means staying behind Jesus. Can I just tell you, He's the good shepherd. He's going to lead you at a pace and to a place that is right for you. You don't have to get ahead of God. You don't have to compete with anybody else. Just stay in front of the good shepherd. And when He moves, you move. And when He turns, you turn. Just follow Jesus for your own self. I believe God's going to make it clear to each one of us what the next step is for each and every one of us. It could be as simple as praying a prayer. It could be accepting Jesus today. It could be getting involved. It could be enrolling in school. It could be forgiving somebody that hurts you. But Jesus is wanting to lead you forward so that you wouldn't get stuck, so that you wouldn't fail to thrive, but you would pursue Jesus and His call with everything that you have. That's His heart for you, friends. I want you to all stand to your feet all across the room. We're going to have our teams available in the altar space. If you need prayer, you need anyone to partner with you, whatever it is you're going through, we have people here that will be willing to pray with you and stand with you in faith. We'd love to do that today. But friends, listen, I just want to encourage you. Now is the time, and this is the moment. God's calling us to rally. He's calling us to not fail to launch. He's got a great plan for your life. He's put you in this church for a reason. He's put you in this community for a reason. There's something God wants to do through your life, and you're only going to see it if you're willing to take the next step that Jesus has for you. You don't have to do what everyone else is doing, but you got to do what Jesus is doing in your life. And so I just want to pray for you today. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit, what is it, Lord, that is the next step for me? And I'm going to pray and believe with you that God would give you the faith and the courage to step out and do that thing in Jesus' name. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for each and every person here. And Lord, I pray for every single person, wherever they are in their journey with you right now. I pray for those right now that have not yet accepted you and made you Lord of their life. God, I pray right now all across this room that if there's even one person here today that has not yet surrendered their life to your Lordship, that God, they would do that right now. Just tell him, say, Jesus, come and be Lord of my life. God, be my God. Sit on the throne of my life. Forgive me for everything I've done that separated me from you. Give me a new heart. Give me a new start. Give me a new start, God. Set my life on the track. You created it to walk on, and I will follow you all my days. Maybe you're in a place and God's speaking, encouraging, doing something. Just say yes. Just put a yes on your heart. Put a yes on the altar of your heart and say, Lord, whatever you say, I'm going to do. Whatever you're calling me to be a part of, I'm going to do it. If you say go, I'm going to go. If you say turn, I'm going to turn. If you say stop, I'm going to stop. Jesus, we just want to do what you're doing. Say what you're saying. Let's just sing the song as we conclude the service today. Believe the Lord to speak to our hearts. Come on, sing it.